Ah, Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars. Give me the Star Wars, don't let them end. Ah, Star Wars, if they should bar wars, please let these Star Wars stay. How about that nutty Star Wars bar? Can you forget all the creatures in there? And hey, Darth Vader in that black and evil mask, did he scare you as much as he scared me? Ah, Star Wars! Those near in Star Wars! My seventh winner up here, Star Wars! Hello everyone and welcome to episode 10 of the Film 89 podcast. As usual, my name is Sky and I'm the editor of Film89.co.uk and with me today for this 10th episode is my fellow Film89 alumni, Mr. Steve Amos. 10 episodes? 10 episodes, Steve. Wow. Yes. Doesn't time fly. It does. Good to be back again. First episode, I think, was uh, the 8th of January we recorded. And returning from his park bench outside your local multiplex, it's that suave, dapper man about town. It's Mr. Jim Cottle. Afternoon, everyone. Back again. So everyone, uh, you've obviously uh, looked on your iPhones, your iPads or whatever sort of device you're listening to this on now and you can see that today we're going to be talking about the new Star Wars film, Solo, A Star Wars Story, which for this 10th episode it's kind of uh, come full circle because the first film we ever covered was The Last Jedi back in uh, January. So gentlemen, Han Solo, the solo Han Solo film, what were your feelings about this film when it was first announced? Steve, I'll start with you. Well, first of all, I know a lot of people have said, you know, do we need a Han Solo film? Who asked for a Han Solo film? But I do remember about two and a half years, three years ago, when they started announcing all these, and they were saying, what would you like to see more than anything? Loads of people were saying Han Solo movies and mm. Boba Fett. To be honest, I didn't think we needed it. But having seen it, well, I'm glad it's been done. We'll come, we'll come, yeah. we'll come to your, your, your opinion on it um, in a bit, but... Just at the moment, talking expectations. Jim, how did you feel about it when it was first announced? Well, I'm a massive fan, so I, I, I was more Star Wars films the better. But then, having watched, having feared the prequels, and having watched Last Jedi, I was like, oh god, this is going to be awful. And I wasn't going to go. I was literally going to boycott it. I was one of those. I mean, you had to drag me there. We did, yes. Um, it was myself and uh, and Neil Gaskin. We had to convince you to go, didn't we, Jim? You did. I'm glad you did. Yeah. So as we came round and we saw that first trailer, um, oh, you know, I, I forget when that was. Was it uh, early on, early on in the year? It, it, it wasn't, wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't as early as some of the other trailers which have been released for the Star Wars films, because believe it or not, this is actually the fourth Star Wars film in two and a half years. The, December two thousand and fifteen, we had the Force Awakens. A year later, we had Rogue One. A year after that, we had The Last Jedi, which is two years, obviously, after The Force Awakens. And then, no less than, well, five months later, we've got Han Solo. So, two and a half years, four Star Wars films. Remember the days when we had to wait three years between Three them? years between <laughs> films, <laughs> yeah. Even, years. Well, even with the prequels, um, from 99 to 2005, it was, a, it was a three-year gap between films. So, what were your thoughts on the, those first trailers, Steve? The first trailer didn't do much for me. It just seemed like a generic trailer. I have to say, the second one that came out... That was excellent. That was mm. really put together. And I liked the way it was edited. It reminded me a bit of um, Baby Driver, the way that they were editing the sounds to the music, to the, you know, it, that was really, really cool. And that was the one that got my excitement really bubbling. Jim, 
Obviously, you weren't too keen going in. I take it then that the trailers didn't do their job and they weren't enticing you. Well, the first two, no. I was I was like, oh, here we go. You almost can see what they're trying to do. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. But then when we went to see the third one, and a little bit of hope was uh, kindled in my heart. A, a new hope. Yeah, a new hope. Kindled. And uh, yeah, I was like, maybe, just maybe. Hmm. Let's address the elephant in the room, Jim. Were your expectations of this film hampered somewhat by the previous Star Wars film you'd seen last December? Yeah, I nearly walked out of it. When I got to Flying Leia, that was me done, and I had to be restrained by my current companion to watch the rest Flying of it. Flying Leia. I really, really yeah. wish I hadn't. Okay. But, um, yeah, that was that was it for me. I was done. We're not going to go back over old ground. Jim uh, has, has hinted on his uh, numerous appearances on the, on the podcast so far that he's not a fan of The Last Jedi. Um, you've all heard my verdict on the film on, on the first episode of Film 89 and um, also read uh, the, the, the lengthy article I, I laboured over under duress not wanting to tear into a beloved franchise but yeah The Last Jedi really didn't do it for me either Steve you're on the other side of the fence you're a big fan of the film I loved The Last Jedi I really really did I've seen it three times now and each time it gets better I think it's one of the most intelligent Star Wars films ever made I think I love the way that it connects to The Empire Strikes Back so many times. Uh, and I think I really, really like the way that almost every character has got its own arc, which is fulfilled right through to the end. I love it. I, lo- I, I don't... Well, anytime I hear people criticising it, I've got to sh- you know, scratch my head. I just don't see it whatsoever. We're never going to agree on this, are we? We are not. <laughs> we're, just, we're never going to agree. Um, Steve was very kind enough to... Uh, lend me his Blu-ray copy of The Last Jedi because God forbid I was never going to buy it. I have rewatched it and as much as my anger towards the film um, had abated slightly, my opinion on it has not changed. Jim, have you seen it since? No, uh, I couldn't believe no. No, it just makes me ill. Uh, you know, I, as, as we've said time and time again, a second watching of the film is very important and there's been films in the past which I've watched the first time and just didn't get or didn't resonate with me or I had some other problem with them based on my first view and I've watched them a second time and yeah, realised that I was wrong and, you know, I've grown to love them. The Last Jedi isn't one of those films. That was a um, worry with me because... You hear so many bad things about mm. it. I thought, oh, okay, I've got it on Blu-ray now. Am I going to enjoy this? Mm. And I, I thought he was even better second time. Yeah, so just want to address this now because I don't want to be harking constantly back to The Last Jedi because I know people are sick of hearing different opinions on it. If you're a lover of the film, then you're not going to want to hear people slating it constantly. And if you're one of the strong vocal uh, group out there uh, who despises or dislikes the film in the least or is just disappointed with it then you know i don't think anyone's going to change anyone's opinions on it but certainly jim i'm with you going into this film i i did have a degree of trepidation but i kept i just kept telling myself look that last film that was ryan johnson that was his approach this one is ron howard i think he's a lot more he's, he's proven his reliability in the past hasn't he he's yeah. made a lot of damn good films and as much as there were issues with Lord and Miller being you know, removed from the project for whatever reason, I think I went in pretty much with neutral expectations and just went in wanting the film to be good as I do with every Star Wars film. You know, like like you guys, I've grown up with these films. Um, you know, I love the original trilogy. I, I loved Rogue One. I just haven't liked uh, the first two films in the new trilogy and I'm not particularly a big fan of the prequels either. So I'm pretty much 50-50 on my love of the Star Wars film, so that certainly did have some effect on me going into this film. Perhaps we can actually agree on something then, because I think the one of the weakest ones is The Force Awakens. Yeah, I was. I, I came out of The Force Awakens and I was like, well, it's not the prequels, so I was quite happy. 
I did think that the score for Force Awakens would go up and down depending on The Last Jedi, so it's gone down for me. I wrote a piece uh, just before The Last Jedi came out, looking back at The Force Awakens, sort of re-evaluating it in time for the release of the, the new film last December. I think I gave it a 7 out of 10, Steve, I, I think. But it, yeah, it, it wasn't, it was not in any way my favourite Star Wars film. You know, there were a lot of the characters like General Hux who I really didn't like. It was too much of a retread of A New Hope. And I did have a, new, a few other problems with it as well. It wasn't a bad made film at, at all. Oh, no, 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 it's not a bad made film at all. The, you know, the amount it's of polish, that, um, it looked incredible. Yeah, it's just, it, it's, I remember there was a moment at the end when uh, the, um, I can't remember exactly what was happening, but one of the ships uh, went down into a gully and started flying along. And I, I just couldn't help but think there's another reference. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're thinking yeah. that in the first film, yeah. the first time you've seen it mm. and you you you've already getting tired of these references yeah. then you know that does say some, that says too much and what, what i will agree is one of the things which people seem to love about the last jedi is it is so different to mm-hmm. a star wars film i agree with that but then for me that's the problem because it doesn't feel like a star wars film to me the level of broad almost bawdy humor in the last jedi was just something that made me it made me almost want to be sick of yeah, watching it's just it. similar it, to Return of the Jedi. Yeah, but I, I you know I never found that there was there was more humor in Return of the Jedi, but then that last act of Return of the Jedi. But you know from from the point where you've you've got the Battle of Endor onwards was just magnificent for me. That is probably one of the best third acts to any film I've ever seen. I do believe, yes. There's an argument that it's the high point of the Star Wars saga for me. It, everything comes together full circle. You've got this incredible three-way confrontation between Darth Vader, Luke oh, Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. Oh, yes. but, you know, I'm a huge fan of Return of the Jedi. Going into the Last Jedi, and the thing, the fact that it was such a departure from Star Wars, I felt it was it took things way too far. There's bits of humour and and almost camp humour in that film that just really I find really jarring, and I was hoping that Solo would be more of a return to the sort of just level of humour that you know we, we've had from you know the original trilogy. And there is humour in Star Wars, just like there's a lot of humour weaved in throughout the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. But as long as it's pitched at the right level, then I'm perfectly fine with it and actually encourage it. Because if you have a film that takes itself too seriously, then... DC Universe, here like we the D, Like the DC Universe films, you know, they do, apart from Justice League, which sort of made a bit of a course correction, and Wonder Woman, which was, again, a lot of humour in that, none of which I felt was out of place. Um, films like Batman vs Superman, they're just too po faced, take themselves too seriously. Absolutely, absolutely. Although, I, and I know I disagree with you with uh, Infinity Wars, and there's a moment in that which... Um, You've got uh, Spider-Man and Iron Man and, and Star Doctor Lord. Strange yeah. and Star-Lord. And I was just... I, I'm a huge fan of Spider-Man. I think the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, especially the first two, are you know outstanding films. Mm. But there was a moment in Infinity Wars I was thinking, he's getting on my nerves. Yeah, there was a lot of to and fro with the, with the humour with the, you know, between the characters. You've got to ask yourself, did the film need as much humor? But then I think if you look at how overall bleak the film was, I think they were just trying to balance things because you've got to look at the audience they're tailoring that film towards. My seven-year-old boy is still yet to see Infinity War. I'm hoping to take him this week. But even I've got concerns with how grim that film is and how you know what he's going to be like coming out of it. I haven't been seeing it again yet because I can't, don't know if I can put myself through it. Mm. Um, in a good, in a good way? About, yeah, in a good way. Yeah. Uh, two well, or three times by now, but I've only seen it the one. Well, my seven-year-old, you know, he, he really enjoyed it. Mm. I asked him at the end because I was concerned. I mean, it, it's quite devastating at the end if you're yeah. big fans of these characters. And I asked him and he said, 
oh, that's all right. They're just going to go back in time and save them all. Okay, I didn't know that was a thing, mm. but <laughs> we, we, he knows a lot shall, more than I do. We, we yeah. shall see, we shall see. But anyway, we're not going to go back to talking no, about comic no, no. book films. I think uh, people are going to start to be sick of that soon. Solo. The casting when Alden Aaron can anyone pronounce his name for a start? No, I've no I, idea. I, I, I cannot pronounce his name. So Alden Ehrenreich, I think that's how you pronounce his name. When he was cast as Han Solo, when you first saw him, what were your thoughts on that, guys? There was a campaign for another lad who I can't remember, but he looked the spit. Yes. So I'm like, I mean, young Indiana Jones was River Phoenix, wasn't it? Yes, he, he was. He did a blinding job of playing a young Harrison Ford. So there is, they've done this kind of thing before. And there was one lad, and you think, damn, yeah, that's him. And they went for the other guy. So again, you know, you're thinking, okay. Right, the, the, guy, the guy you're talking about, Jim, I'm pretty sure, is yeah. it Anthony Ingruber? Right. That's your fella. Right. He, did a, he did like a, a sort he, of he did, he did audition, he, didn't he? He did a YouTube video where he was basically doing impersonations of Harrison Ford as Han Solo, Rick Deckard. Not only did he look like... A young Harrison Ford but his voice was pretty much it was Harrison Ford wasn't yeah, it yeah. and as soon as I saw that sort of his personal audition tape which he'd put on YouTube I thought when they announce a Han Solo film which I hadn't at the point where I saw the video I thought that's the Shoot guy we've got to get Shoot and then yeah a few weeks or months later they announced the film I thought yeah he yeah. at least has to audition it's a bit like Ryan Reynolds with Deadpool wasn't it, it was that, yeah he was, was born to play the character yeah. yeah they didn't go with Ingruber they actually went and funny enough Anthony Ingruber um, I think he plays a young version of Harrison Ford in the film Age of Adeline that came out in 2015, Aha, the film okay. with uh, Blake Lively. So he's been up close and personal. Yeah. Either way, they saw something in Alden Ehrenreich that you know they thought was right for the part. What did you think of that initial piece of casting before you saw the film, based on the trailers? Oh, based on the trailers. Well, before I'd even seen the trailers, I mean, the only reason, the only time I'd ever seen him before was in Hail Caesar, and he was very, very good in that, and he was very, very funny in that. The trailers don't give him a, a lot out. Uh, he, he looks the part. He can sound the part. But you did hear a lot of talk beforehand about how they had to bring a casting coach in and things like that, which I think is people putting a very negative spin on that. Mm. I don't see it like that because ultimately he is not there to be Harrison Ford. I know there's a campaign at the moment. Mm. People are saying, not my Han Solo, and they're showing pictures of Harrison Ford all the time. He's not there to play Harrison Ford. He's there to play Han Solo. Yeah. And I think that within the first 10, 15 minutes, he is Han Solo. Right, Jim, do you remember back a few months ago uh, when we first saw the trailers and we were all saying to each other that we didn't think he was a right fit? My, my sort of benchmark for this uh, was Star Trek, the first, the new Star Trek films. Yeah. Because you've got the guys playing Kirk, Bones and Spock who absolutely nail their characters. They nail yeah, them. Chris, Chris they, Pine, Zachary yeah, Quinto and uh, Carl Urban. And Carl Urban. And they don't, they don't look particularly like them, although Spock does. Mm-hmm. But um, they, they nail a substance of those characters and they and make them their own. And it's really clever. And that's what I was looking for from this guy. Yeah. Chris Pine isn't trying to be William Shatner, but he is trying to be a Kirk. young Kirk. Yeah. Zachary Quinto, somehow, yeah, manages to both it, be it, the character and... Uh, reminiscent of Len- Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Carl Urban looks nothing like DeForest Kelly. Plays a fantastic bones. bones. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was my benchmark for this. Mm. And it's like, is this lad? He doesn't. He's not going to look like Harrison Ford much, but can he get the essence of this character? Yeah, and I think. Don't know if you agree with me, Jim, but coming out of the film, I thought exactly as what Steve has just said. He wasn't necessarily a perfect fit for a young Harrison Ford, but I think he pulled off a young Han Solo. Yes, absolutely. 
He, yeah, I'll go with you. I think he did. I mm. think um, if you look, at, I, I actually went back. You know, I know it word for word. I went back and watched the original just to make sure they hadn't screwed around with it. When I say the original, I mean the New Hope episode four, whatever you want to call we'll it. We call it Star Wars. Wars. Yeah, um, yes, it'll always be Star Wars. Exactly. The character of Solo is wafer wafer thin. Yeah, there's hardly anything mentioned about him. He just is. Yeah, and and he always has been like that. There's in in the in the, the big three films, Star Wars: The Jedi. You learn very, very little about this man. So he had not a lot to work with. Again, and I find it quite hard to sort of divorce myself from what I know about the character based on the expanded universe stuff. Now, Steve, have you read of any of the... You know, you've got the expanded universe, which was made non-canon at the point where um, Disney took over Lucasfilm. Have you got any prior knowledge of the character before that, was, that slate was wiped clean? Um, I've read something in the past. I read The Adventures of Han Solo a long, long time ago. They were awful um, I've also read the Throne trilogy yeah which I think was really really good fantastic and, uh, yeah and I and I even listened to the audiobook for that as well mm. full of special effects and sound effects and music and they are really really excellent yeah that's that's the 19 I think it was 1993-94 the Timothy Zahn trilogy yeah Air to the Empire the Dark, uh, to the Empire Dark Force Rising The Last Command that's it yeah. Yeah, yeah and that was basically the, because of the success of those books mm. it was as if people realised that Star Wars was still viable yeah believe yeah. it or not you know, people have forgotten about it. Yeah, yeah. Massive market yeah. for it. And this is before the um, the re-release of the special editions in 97. This was around about, I think, 95 I picked up those books and first read them. And yeah, for me, that was sort of a turning point where Star Wars started to regain popularity because for the longest time towards the tail end of the 80s, early part of the 90s, Star Wars was pretty much... Done deal. Yeah, it was a done deal. It was There was no talk of any future films. Uh, there wasn't anything like the following that has seemed to have grown now. And the previous following, which as much as it was massive, had pretty much died off, yeah. didn't it? I think... I, I, I was thinking about this as well. And the whole sort of history of Solo was playground law. There was no internet. There was yep. no, you know, someone may have read somewhere in a mm. school somewhere in the UK about him joining the Empire and meeting Chewbacca as a result mm. of that. But that, no one had read about it in a book. That became playground law. When I was six, seven, eight and nine, we knew that to be the case. And, you know, thinking back, I was thinking the other day to how I actually had so much expanded universe knowledge because I think pretty much the only Star Wars books I've ever read are the Throne trilogy, which I've read twice, or, or the Timothy Zahn trilogy, and uh, Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Which was brilliant. Which is a brilliant, um, brilliant that, book. That, that's a TV series. Right? Yeah, that is a mini-series waiting to happen, or they could integrate a, a lot of that into the, the Boba Fett film. I would be surprised if they don't. Great little book. Didn't take me long to read it. It's not the biggest book. I was thinking back now, how have I got all of this expanded universe knowledge? And it was around about, I think about 2000. I was laid up in hospital for a few days. I just had surgery. And I went down to the library there to see if there was anything worth reading. Yeah. Lo and behold, there was a lot of um, uh, John Le Carre novels, a lot of um, stuff that I, I thought... The well, usual. I thought, you know, no, I'm not really you know feeling a love for, to read one of those. And I was a bit heavy. Amongst the books was the Star Wars Encyclopedia. Okay, so I thought, you know, I'll have a flick through it. You didn't have it? I didn't already know. <laughs> like I say, you know, I wasn't that massively into Star Wars to the point that I was like buying books related to it back then. But in a couple of, well, I think I read it in about two nights. I read that encyclopedia from cover to cover. So that now sort of, it just sort of forced myself to, to sort of alleviate the boredom. And a lot of what was in there sort of stuck. Yeah. So I went into this film with a bit of the you know, the backstory as to the fact that in the expanded universe, Han Solo had joined the Imperial Academy. He'd actually served on a film which, for whatever reason, my messed up memory, which remembers the most 
inane trivia, yeah, yeah. <laughs> remembers that he served on a ship called the Rand Ecli- Ecliptic. And if you want to look that up on Wikipedia, just to correct me, but I'm pretty sure. Do it. Um, Do it. That, yeah, that's the ship he served on. So when I went into Solo, and the film started, and then we, we, we see him on Corellia, mm. from that point onwards until he gets off Corellia and goes and joins the Imperial Academy, I'm thinking, my God, they're actually going back to the expanded universe lore, which they pretty much wiped out following the Disney takeover. And that, for me, was sort of a turning point in the film. I thought, you know, they seem to be paying close attention here to what maybe people around about my generation might want and expect from this film. Yeah, there was, there's a lot of expanded universe references, actually. There's a lot of... Um, I, I played a, a video game on my... I think it was on the N64 called Shadows of the Empire. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there. They, they mentioned two twins that are mentioned in the book. Yes, yes, I remember. And then there's... Um, Aura Singh. The, yes. The, 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 swoop, the Swoop Biker Gang. That's where he Shadows of the Empire. Yeah. I spent ages trying to kill IG-88 on top of a train. Mm. <laughs> and when, when I saw the train come in, I was like, if they put IJ-88 on this, I'm going to jump up yeah. and down. But yeah. uh, they, they refrained. But it, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I thought, ooh, Dash Rendar's going to mm. turn up. And, and it was that, that level of expanded universe knowledge. So at what point in the film, Steve, did you sort of get an idea as to whether or not you were going to like it? Well, the first, I have to say, the first 10 minutes, there was a few moments when I cringed. Mm. There was a few lines of dialogue. I hate it when people put into so much exposition and explanation into a line of dialogue, which it doesn't need it, it doesn't belong. There's something, they're having a conversation because he's, what is the thing that he's, he's stolen? What, uh, my son told me a small, uh, you, know, it's you can remember the it. MacGuffin. Yeah, it's yeah, the, it's yeah. the MacGuffin. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's the, the fuel. MacGuffin. Yeah, it's the fuel. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the fuel source, which um, all of us... Star Destroyers yes. and the Falcon. Yeah. He's saying, look, this is what we got. And then um, Amelia Clark says, Oh great! You can get out of the uh, of this planet, and we, you can become the the fighter that you've always wanted to be. And I'm thinking mm. to myself, he knows that, she knows that. Why are they telling us that? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't like that kind of dialogue. Yeah, yeah. So initially, I actually took a step back and I thought, mm. oh, I'm not sure if I like that. But then, as soon as he they basically they were separated. Yeah. From now yeah. on, I was I was, I was completely races. into yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. As soon as he just, he saw that advert for the Empire. Yes. Which play play in the march, play in the Imperial March. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you know, again, that's balls. That's big balls. <laughs> it was it was Hay- Hayden Sproul who messaged us this morning, having just seen the film, who said that that film is so full of Easter eggs. He, he's mid twenties. He's not as old as us, and I'm, I, you know, I, I don't know how vast his Star Wars knowledge is, but for him to pick up on that, the fact that this film is full of Easter eggs, clearly a lot of them are, are quite obvious, and there's a load of subtle ones as yeah, well. Yeah. From that point onwards, and then he actually joins the Imperial. Academy, and then we skip three years later and find out that he'd been kicked out of the academy for for probably insubordination, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then found himself as well just ground infantry, yeah. probably yeah. lower than a stormtrooper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All the dreams are gone. Yeah, at that point, and we're seeing a side of the empire that we've never seen before—the dirty sort of ground warfare. Because any time we've seen ground warfare in you know the films, in the games, like yeah. in in Battlefront. The Empire seem to be this overwhelming force. They they seem they're all you know well equipped, whereas this was sort of down and dirty combat. Yeah. Something it was, it was first world war, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah it absolutely. was. And we, also the way it was shot, we're not getting a big sort of field of view as to what's going on. It's just carnage. Yeah, it's just carnage. Yeah, yeah. and it's chaos. chaos. Yeah, and I like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I like the fact that they could you could have this conversation 
with Woody Harrelson's character, yeah. and these people could come in. You know, it's a middle of yeah, yeah. Get, get in the middle of a war zone, steal some um, you know body armor, and then pretend that they are yeah. you, know, yeah. you know he's fight a captain, to, fight to the yeah. Uh, and yeah, and nobody would notice because it's just so much carnage, so much chaos. Hmm. and you couldn't see much because all he got was explosions and the smoke um, we see know. some sort of variation on the scout walkers which I'm yes, sure yeah. I'm sure the hard yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure the hardcore amongst our listeners are going to be able to shout out uh, variant yes shout out whatever the, <laughs> the ATSD yeah, yeah whatever it's called Mark one yeah <laughs> but the um, I think the Corellia thing for me was rushed either we wanted to spend longer time there establishing him as mm. as, as this sort of um, Dickensian Oliver Twist type character or Alfred Dodger more like really yeah or forget about it In he was a slave to what looked like a crap alien chestburster mm. and he was chased by Skeksis from, from the Dark Crystal yeah uh, and, and I was just like oh no I'm going to feel myself walking out again until Han Solo what's your name Han Han Solo and no. I was like I, back I've, in the room I've heard of and read quite a bit of um disdain against how he got his name now you remember guys i think back last week i sent you a clip of um the canadian tv journalist i can't remember yeah. his name it's, it's yeah. the guy who who did the first well, he did, he did, yeah. the last jedi no 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 no, no, no. no. it was um it was a it was a canadian it was on canadian uh a canadian tv show and there's a segment where this guy does film reviews and back last year he quite famously tore into the last jedi having just seen it where all the other uh, journalists and magazines and and and, and bigger websites yeah, were, were praising it. He was the first one to tear into it. He tore into it in detail, and it, it went viral. It was just a huge video on YouTube, and he was back talking about Solo last week, so his was one of the first videos I went to. I knew he wouldn't give spoilers away, but one of the things he said was, there's a big hint at something to do with Han Solo's origin, which he didn't like and which he feels a lot of fans didn't like he said he was going to do a spoiler review which i've yet to see a follow-up to that review but i'm assuming he's it was because he said it was towards the beginning of the film and i'm assuming it's a bit where he got his name han solo did you have any problems with that steve i didn't have a problem with it and in fact i thought it had echoes of the godfather when um yes, he does go through the immigration and yeah. they say what's your name and uh, they just look at where he's come from Corleone, Corleone. Yeah. so he's Vito Corleone wow yeah. I didn't good spot good, yeah. spot good spot Steve so um, I didn't have a problem with it at all no. I was um, I was like, hoping for Mean Streets in Space when, uh, when they said they were going to do a solo movie and then they mentioned the Mean Streets of Corellia I was like oh we mm. may be on a winner so that with, uh, with The Godfather was brilliant so then he meets up with uh, Woody Harrelson's character of Beckett, who was initially dismissive of him, but then sees the fact that this kid's got a bit of spark, a bit of ingenuity, so he gets him into his gang, much to the consternation of his partner, Tandy Newton's character. But then he, you know, he gets him on this big job, and then we go to that snowy planet, because it seems in every Star Wars film, a planet has got one ecosystem. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't know if that planet only had the one ecosystem, Scott. Let's have a look at all the planets we've seen so far. Even the, the modern ones, like Scarif, which was uh, filmed in the Maldives. Uh, You've got a snowy planet in Hoth, a jungle planet in, in I Endor. I know I prefer to film the Maldives. Yeah, yeah, the Maldives, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, that, that made me chuckle a little bit. The fact that we've got another planet with just one type of weather. But we're back on the snowy planet. We've got the train sequence. Probably one of the biggest action sequences in the film. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of that? Starting to warm to this movie. Uh, I thought I thought the uh, all the characters were sparking off each other. You could see that they were a sort of a well a well honed but chaotic unit of um, of mercenaries, and it all started to work. I kind of wanted well spoilers. We go in there. Yeah, sorry guys and girls. Um, 
we are going to be going full spoiler with this film. We should have announced that at the beginning, but we haven't given away anything massive so far. In fact, I don't think we have. No, we but from this point onwards, we are going to go on full-on spoiler territory. So if you haven't yet seen Solo, put us on pause, go away and watch the film, come back and listen to the rest of the episode. I want to see more of Tandy Newton just because I love her. I've met her. She's sexy as hell. I love what she does. And she was a character that to be really good. And she's outstanding yeah. on Westworld. Yeah, and... She goes down, and I'm like, ah, oh, no. Oh, she had a, a a pangria kind of vibe to her. She, yeah, yeah, with the big yeah, afro, the big yeah, afro, yeah, the, yeah. the the jacket. Oh, yeah. it, was, it, was really, it was definitely out of the seventies black exploitation. Yeah. yeah, it was, and that was a lovely little throwback there, just the, you know the way she looked. And then she just goes and sacrifices. I know, so. I know. I thought and she was going to be one of the Get the why? We don't really get the why. She's. Well, I think because the, much choice. But. Yeah, because the guys on the um, the swoop bikes yeah. were going to come in, and they were going to. Kill her before she had a chance to blow the bridge. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so she, she just blew out. the bridge. Yeah, it was good. We liked that. I think um, you start seeing Han and Chewie working together. Well, oh, again, they we've, had to. we've skipped over one of the big things: oh, yeah, so the introduction or the final. Yes, the beast. Finally, see so, the the, yeah, the beast. beast. We see the meeting of Han Solo and Chewbacca. What, how did you think they handled that? Uh, well, when they said the beast, I was thinking, oh, was that Rancor or uh, yeah, you yeah, know, what, what is Rancor. this? You know, and then when you just see him. Down oh, in the mud. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, you don't, you've never seen him like that before. No. no. I, I clicked a bit earlier. As soon as they threw him into the pit, I thought, well, hang on. Oh, yeah. He hasn't met Chewie yet. And I now can't. this is going to make us think towards the rank. As soon as I thought that, I thought, no, it's not going to be. It's going to be Chewbacca. And I thought that initial fight with him and the fact that they threw him in because the beast, Chewbacca, actually eats people. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was a great little twist because yeah, he's, he's he's a Wookiee, and I would imagine if you put a Wookiee in a pit and starve him, he's gonna you know he's a carnivore. He's yeah, gonna yeah, get quite nasty. Yeah, yeah, and he does, as we know, when we turn the Jedi, some sometimes his stomach leads him into that's yeah, right into trouble. In trouble. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that whole initial meeting, the fight, the fact that it, you know they're covered in mud, and then they sort of work together to free themselves. Because Han's rudimentary his, uh, his yes, or whatever it's his called. His rudimentary um, knowledge of the Wookiee language, which is a little bit convenient. But then again, you know, he's he's dabbled in different circles. Yeah. We'll, we'll take that one. It could be a little no, bit... We've always a, known that he could, they, yeah. they yeah. could understand each other. So uh, Yeah, I, li- again, I like I that. Yeah, it's good. I like the whole meeting. And then, you know, they, they escape together, chained together. That reminded yeah. me of the Defiant ones. The Defiant, <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Nice, little, nice little nod to yeah. that. And then Beckett sees him as he's taken off in his ship and he says, no, put the ship down, okay, let's get them nice. on board. So Mainly because he wanted a Wookiee with him. He didn't want Han, he wanted Chewie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah you need some muscle on that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then you've got Rio, the little, is he six-armed character? So uh, monkey type Yeah, voiced guy. by John Favreau. What do we think of him? Oh, he's perfectly, perfectly okay. CGI. It'd be interesting to see if they could have done it live action. But... Um, Hmm. No, that wasn't didn't throw me off. No, no, you, you know he was by far one of the better CG characters we've had. I think yeah, in Star yeah. Wars and he was, recently, uh, he was a fun character. Yeah, well. he was. And again, it's all about the, you know the tone of the film. They don't, they never pushed the humor to the point where I thought it was cringeworthy. I know you guys said you had some issues on Corellia at the start, but for me, none of that was down to the humor being pushed too far or just. Oh, being, oh no, it wasn't a humor bad, issue. Bad. Yeah. It, was a, it was a script issue. It was bad yeah. So then we've got Tandy Newton's character of Val, uh, which, you know, I, I thought when we saw the trailers, she's going to be a big thing in it because Star yeah. Wars, obviously now there's this big push towards injecting the films with stronger female characters. Because like we said before, yeah, there's no, there's never been any strong female characters in Star Wars, is there? Apart from the, you know, you could argue one of, one the, of, the, one of the greatest uh, female characters ever in Princess Leia. 
So, you know, I think that's a bit of a misnomer, really. You know, there's always been, you know, a strong leaning towards females the in Star Wars. led by a female. Mon exactly. Mon Mothma is, a, is the rebel leader. You know, are people forgetting this or these comments, uh, you know, just made by people who've got no knowledge of Star Wars and are just jumping on the, the social justice warrior bandwagon? But I do think that by getting rid of Thandie Newton so early, we all knew that Han Solo and Chewbacca are going to make it to the end. Yeah. But yeah. all of a sudden... Everybody else, else yeah. is it's Game expendable. Of Thrones. Hey, it's Game of Thrones. I'm sure if uh, Ryan Johnson had directed, he may have killed them off. <laughs> <laughs> he seems to want to take chances elsewhere. And then we've we, we've got the the big reveal of the other character that we haven't seen, Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. Jim, ah, oh, nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. I was well happy with that. Again, you don't know much about Lando and, and Han prior. You know they've got a relationship. They absolutely, yeah, he was he was perfect, spot on. Everyone's been raving about him. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna disagree. No, he, he was all uh, he was all balls with me. Yeah, <laughs> and yet you know for all his front, yeah, he's a bit front, of a chicken. Yeah, you know he, he didn't he, he didn't have it all. No, no. <laughs> the Millennium Falcon was in compound. Yes, it was. Yeah, it'd been impounded. Yeah. That first reveal, and when he first utters the, the first line, whatever that is, I can't remember. But it was the tone, the pitch, the, the voice. I thought. Jesus, believe it all. That's that's yeah, Billy Dee Williams. Heard, <laughs> that's a young Billy Dee Williams, yeah. and I thought he nailed it perfectly. I think Donald Glover at the moment, he is his star is on the ascendancy. He's, he's got a TV program. Isn't yeah, it? Uh, is it Atlanta? Is uh, is rap career and well, I don't know if it's yes, is, it's, it's, is yeah. it rap or is it? Um, um, it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's a Childish Gambino. Childish Gambino. It's a I think it's a mishmash of R and B rap. It's sort of his I'm own 45, thing. I'm not supposed to know. <laughs> He's just multi-talented. The guy's the guy is what he's he's thirty-four. I'd be very disappointed if we didn't see more of him and the, and his career. Just he is Lando Calrissian now. Yeah, beyond Billy Dee Williams. The torch, yeah. yeah, it's been passed to him. You know, I think we're going to see a lot more of him. I I thought in this film, he was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, can't can fault him. So going back to Alden Ehrenreich, are we going to say the same thing about him? Overall. Are we happy that they cast him? And is he right for the role? Yes, I think so. Yeah. He didn't drop the ball. No, no. I don't think he did. Uh, uh, there's a point in the film when you, you know, if, if you're going to think about it at all, which I didn't, which mm. is a good sign, I think you would say he's Han Solo. Yeah. And, but throughout the film, it wasn't until the end of the film where I, I questioned it. And I think that's a very, very good sign. There was a point, maybe about two thirds of the way through the film, where I actually thought to myself, you know, I, I'm not finding myself picking every word apart that he says, every little bit of intonation. I'm not just I'm just buying now the fact that he is the Han Solo character. Yeah. He's, he's, he's not swagger. He's, yeah. He it's, had it's, the, it's, it's 20s, 10 years before Harrison Ford takes right. over. And now and he's got time to grow into Harrison Ford, but he's certainly showing he's certainly showing the shoots of that character. I think if you if you look at the timeline with the with the Rebel show, I think it's more around 13 or 14 years before a new hope so I think if Han Solo in Star Wars is 35 then this version of Han Solo is in his early 20s oh, yeah. I think you know from that point of view Chewie's Chewie 190 190 200, yeah. 200 in Star Wars again given the fact that we've got the expanded universe and that isn't always you know following perfect continuity yeah. how can you when you've got so many books and, and, so and many different sources yeah. exactly yeah um, Alden Ehrenreich he's Born nineteen eighty nine. So what is he now? He's coming up to thirty now. Yeah, he's, yeah, coming up to thirty. Yeah, he is. He is still young enough to play someone in their young twenties. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. I thought he was great. Woody Harrelson as Beckett. 
has Woody Harrelson been in a bad role of late? Uh, we He's spoke having in, such a yeah. renaissance. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, we we spoke in episode two of his performance in um, Three Billboards. Incredible. Yeah. Absolutely amazing performance. Let's go back to 2014, True Detective, one of my favourite yeah, TV yeah. shows from the last, well, forever, really. Matthew McConaughey got a lot of the accolades there, but I thought Woody Harrelson was just as good. Yeah, perfect quality. Yeah. Amelia Clark. Didn't drop the ball. I wasn't I wasn't massively put out by her in any way, shape or form, apart from Corellia, but that, I think it was more to do with how little time they spent there. Uh, I love the switch of spoilers. What, again, I love the, the, yeah, the, spo- the, spo- the switch yeah. at the end. The spoiler, the spoiler warning's gone out. Now the balloon's gone up, Jim. Yeah. Anyone that's listening to this is going to expect and get full disclosure. Yeah. So, yeah. There's all sorts of double-crossing and double-dealing towards the end. She does some of it. I was well happy they did. Well, I think from that point of view, where they took her character and the complete rug pull. There's many rug pulls. We, we've seen Amelia Clark in Game of Thrones who's gone from, initially, her, her character's story arc was fantastic. Then I think for a few seasons, Steve, you've watched it recently, will you yeah, agree? Yeah. Her, her character arc went off the boil. It went a bit... It, and then it's more than picked up towards the end. But throughout that, Amelia Clark, she's done a good job on Game yeah, of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, she's then done stuff like Terminator Genesis, which... Wouldn't watch it. Absolutely just... Yeah, but she's a young actress. She's yeah. not choosing the roles. Oh, yeah. No, you know people. No. Are, she's she's well enough for people to say yeah. we want you. She, she's far but from she's a bad there, actress. Yeah. I think she's very good. But I've got to say, for the most part of this film, I thought, well, her character pretty much sort of just ticking the boxes. Yeah. But when you see where they're going with it, yeah, and I, 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 think I disagree because I thought from the moment you saw her. There's something here. Why is no, she no, I, I don't, and, and I no. didn't trust her at all. See, I, I never thought that. I just thought that she's going to be killed off because they have to kill okay. her off to sort of have a clean slate for him to fall in love with Leia later on. But obviously, I wasn't actually thinking, well, hang on, we've got 10 or so years in between this. She can go for another couple of films. Where they took her in the end, and it was in that last act, I did then begin to see where they were going with her. I just thought it was absolute genius. Oh, that was huge grin time. That, that was. for me, <laughs> that was. But it wasn't. It wasn't too on the nose. None of it felt forced. It didn't no, feel no, unnatural. No, no. She sees an opportunity, and we'll come to Paul Bettany's character of Dryden Voss in a minute. She she she's come from nothing. Yeah, she's she, a she, slave. She, she, yeah, she was a slave uh, effectively, yeah. and she it's sees this point. opportunity to to step into Dryden Voss's boots, and she took it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I just she does what she needs to survive, yeah. and that's and that is her character, that's so, her persona now. Paul Bettany is Dryden Voss. Apparently, if the rumours are to be told, he pretty much rang up Ron Howard and said, "I want him. Obviously, they're good friends from um, A Beautiful Mind. Yeah. He said, uh, "Funny thing, Ron, um, I've never been in a Star Wars film." And he's of the age, isn't he? Where he'd want to be in that's right. If I had thought of that, I would have probably had Ron Howard's number. He's already perfectly stepped into the shoes as first Jarvis in the MCU and now the Vision. Vision. He stepped perfectly into the shoes of Vision, and now we've got him playing. Well, I don't think the film's got a main bad guy that's front and center, but he is obviously the one that's pulling all the strings and the one they're doing the job. So, what do we think of his character? Yeah, good, happy with him. I think uh, he looked good. There was some some sort of um, facial scarring that you thought, Mm -hmm. "Are we going down a Vader route? Who is he? Who is he? Who is this guy? Why is he in charge?" And I did get a bit. You know, he's the he's the big bad guy. He's the jabber, so he's got to have one a barge type things and he had that he's got to have a band playing that was like the band in Jabba's Palace and I was yeah. like oh do we really have to do that but you know ticking those boxes yeah well done good but it was it was nicely done when he starts double dealing you're like excellent see now I think that every time he spoke 
there was always a massive undercurrent of threat and the yeah, fact yeah. that at any moment you could just pick up a knife and stab someone cut yeah, someone's yeah, throat absolutely. he he had that vibe of he's a guy not to be messed with and I, I really liked him I thought he was a great villain he wasn't a sneering scenery chewing villain as much as he did have a lot of the things which he was associated with, say, you know, Blofeld with a facial scar and yeah, stuff yeah. like that, very well dressed. But I, I just thought he was fantastic. Yeah, but when you say that he was in charge, though, throughout, he did lay hints that there was somebody else in charge. Yes, yeah. And yes. he did say that the people I work for will not be happy and things like that. Yeah, hands so, up if you were thinking Vader. I'd put my hands up. No, oh, no, um, no, no I, I, was, I was never, I was thinking more towards the lines of the fact that this film seems to be outside of the the main sort of territory where the empire operated yeah. more you know on, on say the outer rim i wasn't really consciously thinking of who he was associated with we'll come to the twist at the end where we <laughs> see who is actually in charge of this the particular crimson sun, yeah. the crimson sun yeah. yeah but yeah i thought he was a great character and i just loved the way didn't overdo it didn't underdo it yeah i loved the way the kira sort of sidestepped him and, and took over um, once he'd been killed yeah yeah when you see kira in his sort of court, you know all better off with her. You, you say, oh, she's not going to just fall into Han's arms here. There's, there's more going on because you well, think she's working yeah. for this guy. Mm. He's an utter, you know, and that's where the alarm bells started ringing for, between Han and her. It's like, he's thinking it's all going to be sweet. Yeah. And like, oh my God, the girlfriend's over there. Excellent. So and she's like, whoa. Before we skip too far ahead now and get to revealing what happens at the end, you've got the fact that they messed up on the snow planet, they, they lost the, the shipment, and then you know they're in debt to Dryden Voss. Yeah. Big time. They come up with the idea that they can get more of this fuel, so they go to the Spice Mines of Castle. Now, this is where the film dips into a big segment of what little we know about both the Millennium Falcon and Han Solo. Um, what do we think of the now infamous Castle Run sequence? Well, I, I say infamous not because of the film so much, but because it's, it's such a big part of the Han Solo lore. Well, first of all, I like the way that in um, Star Wars he did it in less than 12 parsecs. Mm. Uh, but of course, in this one he did it more. He and ra- then he rounded, and he rounded down, it down, down as well. So, ah, over the course yeah. of the next 10 years, he rounds it down further. Yeah. Um, which is perfectly in character with him. And it does address the fact that parsecs is actually a measure of distance. distance yeah. Now, when, you, when you're doing a run, a, a distance sort of race or, or as this is a, a smuggling run you would do it according to how quickly you do it so you do it in, a couple, in, in hours or, or minutes or whatever so a lot of people you know, a lot of the quite anal people picked up on the fact that well no how they've got that wrong because parsecs is a measure of distance now surely there is a route to take and if you take that route it's going to be the same distance yeah, every time no, no, no. but it's not because they set up this big sort of maelstrom which looks like a load of planets have come together it looks Black basically, holes, basically yeah worm, apparently worm yeah. holes whatever you want to call them yeah it, it's they, they use the term gravity well but i think if you look at the you know read around it this region of space is is a load of black holes and i think what you have to do is, is plot it more the more, yeah, yeah. That's, that's been mentioned. Yeah, you, you, have, to, you have to plot the, the most um, efficient and safest route through it. Yeah, without being caught. Without being caught. Yeah. So they go down to the spice mines. Let's, let's talk about the other character that we've omitted so far, L3. I liked L3. I liked L3. I have to admit. I like the way that she walked with her big hips. Yeah. She was, you know, this. You, you can imagine if she was here when she'd be crossing her arms and telling you, you know, putting her, her big arms on her big bosoms and telling you exactly what she, uh, what she, what thought. she thought. You know, I, I like, and I, I, I the, the sexual connotations between L3 and Lando, you know, they yeah. are compatible. 
Yeah, <laughs> that was a bit weird. But wasn't he didn't get a chance to rebuff no. that, though, did he? And I, I think. <laughs> Like the way I'm going to take it, just for my own comfort, is any sort of sexual hints that are coming about that relationship are coming purely from her. I don't want to think of Lando Calrissian having sex with his droid companion. That's just messed up. Well, I don't think he'd want to think of it either. I think that you know, if it's been a while, he's the type. Right, Steve, let's not even go into that's that. Not that. You're gonna. Let's it, not just, go there. it doesn't work. It's. Well, she was saying it does. She thinks it does. She thinks yeah. it does. Yeah. Spoilers again. She gets well. Blasted and, yeah. and 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 shot to shit. Uh, and that but was before very that, though, I mean, it's obviously droids from three PO. This is not a place, a nice place for droids to be, as three mm. PO says in in Star Wars. You know, you don't want to end up there. And I like the fact that she went in there as this, you know, sort of pro pro droids rights droid, mm. and and instigated the rebellion that that got them where they needed to go. Yeah. Now, I, I said about the humour, the, the, the whole pro droids rights thing. As much as I can see that that is quite funny, I thought it was played a little bit too much for laughs and came across as a little bit too clunky. That's that, that's the the part about her character that I didn't like. It didn't spoil my enjoyment of the film at all. And then when she eventually gets destroyed and they're struggling to get away from the uh, uh, out out of the moor, away from uh, you know these these gravity wells which are pulling them in, and this big massive. Uh, Space monster. Yeah, no, I know, Jim. You're not a fan of the space monster, but you know we've had a big giant space worm in the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, yeah, not, it's, not, it's, it's not the finest hour of the space, Empire Strikes Back, though, is it? No, but yeah, well, yeah okay. Yeah, I, have, I have no problems with it. It's consistent with the Star Wars universe. I've got yeah. no problem with it whatsoever. Mm. I think it was exciting. You know, they they plug her into the Falcon's Navi computer, so at that point onwards, she becomes part it's of the Falcon. Sentient. Yeah, Falcon so always becomes sentient, which is great. Which then, if you Flash forward then to a few films later in the chronology, The Empire Strikes Back, where Han says, plug 3PO into the Falcon, see if he can talk to her, find out what's wrong. He is now talking to the computer because she's got a degree of sentience. Little little things like that peppered throughout, I just thought were were just absolutely amazing. And going back to Corellia, the first time Star Destroyers are mentioned in Star Wars is when Han Solo was saying, oh, you know, the Millennium Falcon, she can outrun the bulk Corellian uh, cruisers. cruisers. Now, yeah. I think at that point he's referring to Star Destroyers because you've got the Star Destroyers that we see get built on Corellia and he's referring to outgunning yes, yeah. Imperial ships. And I think he's actually referring to those ships, which again, I'm not a forward yeah, thinking. Big Corellian ships. Yes, says, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we have seen that they are different sizes of Star Destroyers and it certainly looks like the, the Star Destroyer that they meet in um, this maelstrom it does seem to be quite a bit bigger. Mm. Whether that or not, was imposing, wasn't it? Yeah, that was. That, that was, was a nice opening. One of the best uses of, yeah. of a Star Destroyer. In a, They're not going to launch TIE Fighters. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So then we've got TIE Fighters, and more importantly, the bit for me that dragged me right back to those feelings of just warm nostalgia is when they were getting music cues from both Star Wars and, and The Empire, Empire Strikes yeah. Back. I just thought you know the score throughout was pretty much um, it was serviceable it never got in the way of the film it, it, it was never anything that I thought you know that this is a little bit jarring like some of the music in Rogue One I, I thought some of the music was a little bit it just wasn't up to John Williams standard at this point I think when you hit that sort of halfway point in the film I was actually becoming quite conscious of how much the music was helping push things along well my um, seven year old son is a huge fan of um, soundtracks now and we've listened to the John Powell soundtrack mm. and uh, it's it's really now, really good I actually yeah I listened to it on um, the morning I saw the film uh, it was on Spotify and he actually said John Williams and John Powell so was John Williams actually involved in the composition no, of this 
I, I don't know, but we, I think it's, it's reference to the fact that they did use the themes from previous from, films. From, yeah, right. Whereas it's John Powell who's actually composed the music for this film and then used themes from others. Got you. Right, okay. I, I must be honest with the score. I couldn't tell you anything about it bar the themes that I knew. There's nothing that's stuck in my head from it. Only the, only the John Williams bits of it I could tell you. I can't think of but any. I think, Jim, anything. we've had this discussion before and we with, with, with soundtracks. And I, I don't think really a soundtrack can sort of embed itself in your brain you know that early on and I certainly think you've got to listen to a soundtrack a few times for it to sort of sink in you know one of my favourite soundtracks is the Lord of the Rings trilogy it, it took me a while to get into those films I wasn't a fan from the start now he's amongst you know they're amongst my all time favourite films and certainly Howard Shaw's score for those films is easily in my top five film scores of all time but when I first listened to them, I couldn't have come out with the film humming anything, like the you know the ring theme or, or any of that, or the fellowship theme, until I'd watched the films a few times. Yeah, but we're talking about John Williams. <laughs> yeah, but then... Start, you tell me when you hit Superman, that didn't lodge itself then, in your brain. But I'll say about ADT, John... It didn't lodge itself in your brain straight away, yeah. Well, it's difficult to say with those, because those films are so old and psych- oh, iconic now. Yes, when, they're already they, ingrained yeah, in our yeah. psyche, Jim. Yeah, but the, the soundtrack was a massive part of those films, and I think that Jaws... You said me you listened to Jaws and yeah. didn't notice the soundtrack. But, I didn't notice the soundtrack in this uh, yeah, part of the John Williams. I, I, I'm with Sky here because you know I, I, when um, Jaws came around, I was too uh, young to to no. um, watch it when it first came out. So the the music and everything was already part of the lore of this um, film. Yeah. Um, it's you know I, um, take Jurassic Park for example. When we first saw that for the first time, you didn't leave Jurassic Park humming that tune. After a few no. times, right? You know, and I, I do love the soundtrack for yeah. Jurassic Park. I think it's one of those things. That, uh, I will say, Steve, I, I can fully agree with the point you're making there. I did with Jurassic Park only because I think at that <laughs> point I'd listen, I'd watched the trailer so many okay, times okay. that by that point the score did. But in general, I fully agree with you that on the whole, I don't find the, the film scores stick with me straight away after seeing a film. Which is why what I tend to do sometimes now, if a big film is coming out, like with Infinity War, soon as the the soundtrack becomes available to listen to. Um, as it did with Infinity War, I'll sometimes listen to the score before I watch the film. I did that with, um, no, actually, I think I did Infinity War just after seeing it. And with Solo, I listened to the, the, the score just before. I think it's a better score than Rogue One. I think he does a good, certainly does a good job of of mimicking John Williams. John Powell, he, he's not a, a massive composer, but one of my favourite scores of his from a film that doesn't get much love is X-Men The Last Stand from 2006. Now that's one of the scores I've actually downloaded and listened to. If you listen to the the recurring theme in that film, where the, the bit where Jean Grey kills Professor X, mm. the way the score builds and swells in that scene is absolutely phenomenal. And it's used again towards the end when Wolverine kills Jean Grey. Yeah. It's an incredible piece of music. And um, from what stuff I am aware of from John Powell, he is a very good composer. Okay, so after she uh, after the droid causes revolution, they're out stealing the fuel for um, to, for Dryden Voss. And you see uh, Chewie breaks away from Han Solo, which you're thinking, oh no, he's gone, to go and help a fellow Wookiee who's uh, captured and enslaved in, uh, in the Spice Mines of Kessel. Um, and then you have a really good Western-style gunfight around the Falcon, mm. uh, where everyone's taking part. And you start to, f- start to see Lando. Is, you think, oh, has he got the balls for this? And then when his droid gets shot up, he goes running yeah. out there. So maybe they did have a sexual relationship, Scott. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to... That was really moving, though, I thought. Yeah, you know, yeah it was. They it had was. a relationship where they were sexual, yeah. not yeah. And then Lando runs out to save our three, 
gets shot, and then Chewie, big hero moment, goes and grabs them both. And once again, we see Chewbacca running with it, carrying a droid, a broken droid. Yeah. <laughs> Chewbacca but, was badass. Chewbacca was fantastic. <laughs> he, he didn't have He's any... Always fantastic. He, he was just... He was on a constant level of every time he was on screen, I thought, that is Chewbacca. That is our Chewbacca. I never thought that's someone else playing him. No, yeah. no. And, and you know that scene when he rips the arms off um, the gun. Oh, you, yeah. <laughs> and of course, you got Solo seeing a language, you know, yeah. I, that the uniform would have fitted me. Yeah. Which I thought was really, really funny because anytime anybody ever steals a uniform, yeah. it usually fits them. Yeah. Apart from Indiana yeah. Jones. Yeah. You know, but that was played for laughs. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that was Chewbacca it holding was, the it two was. arms in the air. So, <laughs> Dave, Dave nailed Chewie. They've nailed Han, uh, you know, far better than our expectations were. They've nailed Lando. Yes. The Millennium Falcon. Jim, what did you think of uh, how the ship looked? Because, uh, you know, the ship is a character in and amongst itself throughout Star Wars. Yes. Is it, it, is it, it even more me so? Wonder. It did make me wonder because it is so clean. It's almost like an Ikea uh, Millennium Falcon mm. when you get in there. <laughs> and it does make you think, bloody hell, Han's a complete slob. I love him. <laughs> he's a man after your own heart yeah you? exactly yeah I, I liked it I liked the fact that the front section uh, we didn't realise until this film that the front section of the Falcon is incomplete because they jettisoned the escape pods I thought that was fantastic yeah, well done, every time you see a film the escape pods are always on the rear or the side yeah. now if you think if they're jettisoning the escape pods doing a pursuit yeah. then they're yeah, going to get yeah. destroyed so the fact they're on the front of the ship I thought that was great yes lovely and then sooner they jettison them the the ship starts to resemble the Falcon that we know and love. Well, up until this point, it's Lando's Millennium. Yeah, it Lando's is, it's, yes. Yeah, and, and he's even got a, a rack of um, yeah. capes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the other characters that crops up throughout the film that we haven't mentioned is sort of the other sort of bad guy, Enfys Nest. I say bad guy, as it turns out. Bad girl. A bad girl. No bad girl. Oh, no. Bad girl. And she actually, there's another twist then. The fact that she is actually, um, you know, a, a champion of good and, and sort of... You know, savior of yeah of, of the people who the empire are crushing and, and who the well, she is almost like the, the start of part of the rebellion and yeah, we, yeah. we already know uh, from the prequels that the rebellion started mm. you know almost immediately but then it was obviously a groundswell which yeah. they inevitably joined together later on it's quite a nice story twist isn't it because you've got it han is. who's ducking and diving and basically a criminal yes uh, and he's trying to steal he's trying to steal get this fuel and then all of a sudden you've got you know the swoop gang who think oh they're they're a bunch of mercenaries as well and she's like no i'm not we're trying to get this for a good cause here and it, it kind of puts it all in position doesn't it it does so then when, when we get to the end and then we have the you know the big showdown and dryden voss gets killed and then we've got beckett who was sort of left hand to yeah. pretty much die Grab off, Chewie. yeah he leaves and then you have you mentioned the shootout being like a western. Then you've got this standoff that you know the shot is straight out of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, you know the the man with no name trilogy. Every time you see that shot of a of a holstered gun yeah. on yeah. the side with the opponent in front, I just thought that was fantastic. And then we've got the big thing of hand shooting first. George Lucas well, changes things. Before we go there, one thing: Warwick Davis, who's in this, he yes. plays Weasel. Yes, and in Phantom Menace. He's in the crowd, and his name is Weasel in the crowd. Yeah, same character. Apparently. Same character. I thought he was actually. Isn't he just 
generic spectator or something? Well, apparently, no, he apparently not. Oh, he's, he's, right. Greedo's, he's Greedo's mate, isn't he? Right. So no, but you know, that's Wald. He actually plays Wald, but he actually plays a human character. Yeah. And his name was Weasel. And in this one, same character. So even, you know, and I, as much as I've got problems with the prequels, I've got no problem with them tying these films together because I just love the fact that it is paying reverence to the continuity. And any time any series does that, it's one of the things I like most about the MCU. Tying things together with a tight continuity shows that the writers give a shit and they know what they're doing. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, there was a lot of that here. There would, you know, we could do again. We could extend this episode by half an hour if we're going through all of the little Easter eggs. We're not. We're going to save you that. You, you, you'll be glad to know. <laughs> so then we, we we've seen Han shoot first. Then we've seen George Lucas tinker with things three or four times to yeah. the point now where it's just unclear what the hell is going on. Finally, Ron Howard's put things straight. Han shoots first. What did we think of that scene? Well, if you have the whole lead up to that scene, um, we all know that, you know, as Woody Harrelson, this character, has said a number of times, you don't trust anyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hans shooting first seems a logical, yeah. um, you know, he, he's learned his lesson. Later on, when he shoots Greedo, he's got to shoot first because yeah. he's learned his lessons. Yeah. He knows that he can't trust other people. So yeah. then we see, we see Kira take Dryden Voss's place at the end. Fantastic twist, of, as we've said. But then she reports to the big bad that is in charge of Crimson Sun. Crimson Dawn. Crimson Dawn. It's Crimson Sun. Uh, I think it's Crimson Sun. Crimson Sun, Crimson Dawn, whatever yeah. they call it. But yeah, the big bad Crimson. in charge of them. We see a holographic communication channel open up. We see a character metal legs. in a dark robe with oh, metal legs. Metal now, legs. Automatically, I didn't, unlike some people have, think immediately Darth Vader. I was thinking Vader. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I didn't immediately think Darth Maul. No, neither Big did I. Big spoiler no. alert. Lo and behold, then, because when he's, when he's talking, I actually think it's the same guy that did the voice of the Rebels cartoon. Not, not obviously uh, Peter Serafinowicz, who did the voice of Darth Maul in The Phantom Menace. So it's the voice that people who watch Rebels will be more accustomed to. But as soon as he took that hood back, stood and the music up, started. Yeah. What, what do you think of that, guys? Is it too much or are you happy with it no as I said it was a moment when I had a huge smile on my face my seven-year-old turned to me and went Darth Maul Darth <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it, yeah. was, it was a perfect moment my, I'll be honest with you I, I was aware of the fact that my jaw was lower down than it usually is and I thought wow that is just it's making up for the fact that he had a bit of a bitch's death you know? <laughs> he, did, yeah. he, was, he had a dog's death didn't he he was he was too good a character yes. to go the way he did yeah, as yeah. much as I think he isn't really as good of a character as a lot of people make out because he hasn't got much in the way of dialogue, he looks incredible. His fighting style is phenomenal. He uh, is just, angry. you know, whatever you may think of the prequels, no one will deny the fact that when you see him light up that double lightsaber and yeah. just start that incredible uh, deal of the fate scene, oh, that's a, it, it's a just amazing. The only uh, problem scene. is that, unfortunately, it's interspersed with two other ongoing scenes which are just complete dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the terrible space battle with little Anakin yeah. and the stuff that's going on with the fucking gun guns. Uh, Jesus, yeah, yeah, God help me. But, yeah, you know, but looking at that scene in isolation, the Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan, Darth Maul, free for fantastic. If you had to bring something back from the prequels, they bought the best. Darth Maul, so, didn't it? Let's look what this film has done. In a way, it, well, it, not everyone will agree, but we're all agreed. It nailed Han Solo. It nailed Lando. It was reverent towards the expanded universe. It showed a bit of careful planning towards where they're going with it because yeah, well it sets up. That's the best bit about Darth yes. Maul. It's got to be an Obi Wan Darth Maul finale, isn't well, it? And they have now set up the fact that um, there was this. There's this big meet now, or this big job that this gangster on Tatooine is going to put together, which Beckett mentions. We all know that that's going to be Jabba the Hutt. I think it's all leading towards a big. Tatooine based. Tatooine based mashup where you've got the smugglers 
please, I hope this Boba Fett film is either going to be a standalone Boba Fett film, which is just too detached from all of this, or they'll have common sense and integrate it into what they're setting up now, and it will be the follow-up to this story told from Boba Fett's point of view, or better still, Boba Fett and all of those other bounty hunters that we saw from Empire. Bosk, IG-88. Dengar. Dengar. Come on, what's the other one just for completion purposes? two more, the the bug eyes. Uh, Uh, Forlom and... Forlom and... uh, Zuckus. Zuckus. Well yeah. So there you go. We've just shown our Star Wars geekery there. Anyone who says that me and Jim are not Star Wars fans because of our hatred of The Last Fuck Jedi, off. shut up. There you go. We are massive Star Wars fans. We just like Star Wars to be good. So there you go. Which is why, you know, I've got to be honest with you, this film is, is united us as Star Wars fans. Yes, yes, it has. Unfortunately, it looks as if the box office for the film, Steve has already put out a great tweet oh, today. Yeah. They're saying that the film has flopped. Disney, they're using the word bomb bombed really it's made 144 million this opening weekend now they're saying the film is bombed because it was projected opening of 300 million alright granted it's not going to be anywhere near what we've seen recently with the likes of Black Panther Infinity War and you know The Force Awakens and, and The Last Jedi which had huge openings but let's be honest have Disney done or Lucasfilm done a great job of selling this film? No. I don't think they have. They've chosen to open the film just after Infinity War comes out, which is ridiculous because Infinity War is still raking in the money. In a few weeks' time now, you've got The Incredibles 2, which is another Disney property. Yeah. And then you've got Jurassic World 2, which yeah, is going to be... Got, um, Deadpool 2 the week before. Deadpool 2 a few weeks before. If they'd have put this film out... Was... I think if they put it out to Christmas. Well, Why didn't they? Yeah. Star Wars, um, it's usually been a, a... Is it Last Jedi Backlash? I don't no, know. No, I, I don't. I don't the reason know. I, th- I think the the problem is this, right? A couple of years ago, when Force Awakens was coming out, they wanted to release it on Memorial Day because that's mm. the Star Wars yeah. day. Even though Memorial Day doesn't have the same global, it, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's not that, a global uh, thing. You know, in the in the past, Memorial Day was the day. There was the weekend that the summer started. But now you can open films in look at Black Panther, yeah, in yes, Ferrari, yes, exactly. And, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Infinity Wars in um, in, in May. April, April, May, right? So they released the film at Christmas because J.J. Abrams needed a bit extra, extra time. Mm. And that which, seems to have had a knock on the which, then. Yeah, and, and at the time they thought, well, this is going to be terrible yeah. because no film has ever opened with more than 70 million at Christmas. Okay. Mm. And of course he made that more in one day, right. Force Awakens. Yeah. And now they try to reclaim Memorial Day and it's not the day that it used to be. It's in an overcrowded market five months after the previous film. Which means they didn't have a lot of time. They couldn't really start advertising it until the last year they was yeah. out of the cinemas, and then all the bad, you know, the bad publicity Scott, which all the other rival studios mm. are going to whip up. Yeah, yeah. Because know, I was concerned. I went went to see it on a bank holiday weekend, second day of opening. It's a Star Wars film. I went to a seven o'clock in the evening showing, and I was like, yeah. "What is that about?" I've been to see it. I went to see Phantom Menace in the states. And the, the, around the block. But the other I thing saw, as well. I saw second day, well, 13 people. I, the last Star Wars, three Star Wars films I've seen, I've seen advanced screenings of. There was no advanced screenings available. Um, I think there may have been one in London. As soon as I hear that, I think, oh. I, I know Peter I've, Bradshaw, the um, Guardian, he's been going on about it all weekend. He loved the film. Yeah, right, you know, guys, and let's, try and, like, let's try and do a little bit of good for this film then, shall we? Let's round it up and say, if your average Star Wars fan came up to you now that was a little bit unsure, would you be telling them to go and see Solo? I have Absolutely. To. I have to. Yes. There you go. In which case, let's um, bring things, start to bring things nicely to a close. Final scores on Solo. Ooh, um, now, there's a bit of an intake of breath there. Yes. Who's going to go first? Come on. I'll go first. I was, I, when I came out, because of many things, I was like, it's a strong seven. 
But the more you think about it, the more it settles down in your head on going eight. Steve? I, actually, that's a good explanation of what, no. what's gone in my mind. I'm going to give it an eight as well. Yes, it starts off a little bit clunky, mm. but that's only yeah. about, you're talking about 10 minutes the after fact. a two-hour film. Yeah. Uh, don't let that put you off. You Soon, you are swept away with it. Well, look, you know, a week or so ago, we gave we gave Deadpool 2 a 7 out of 10. And on reflection, I'm thinking that's already, in my mind, gone down to a 6. I'd probably agree. Guys and girls, we're not afraid to change our views on things. We're not stubborn. Steve, Steve's a little bit stubborn. He with the last Jedi. We'll, we'll bring him round. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, we did give Deadpool to uh, three sevens. Um, I'm not sure what Neil's stance is on it, but Jim and me are back thinking now there. It, it's not actually as good as we initially thought. I'd give it a six. Based on that, I would easily give Solo a seven. It's a far better film. It's a far better Star Wars film than I was expecting. Yeah. It rejuvenated my love of the franchise, which I was starting to have almost something bordering on disdain for I'm going to give it an 8 8 across the board so there you go go. that's a film 89 verdict for Solo a Star Wars story 8 out of 10 I know what you're thinking punk you're thinking did he fire 6 shots or only 5 now to tell you the truth I forgot myself and all this excitement being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and will blow your head clean off. You gotta ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? So, our favourite three segment, or top three favourites. This week, we're doing favourite movie characters. Given the fact that we've been talking about Han Solo and Chewbacca, Lando Calrissian, you know, they may feature on our top threes. Steve, I'll start with you. What's your number three? Oh, I, you know, I've racked my brains on this. It's killed me because every time I think of somebody, I thought, oh, they got to be there. And then I realise i got to leave somebody out. Mm. And this has killed me. But I've tried to um, spread them. I didn't want to go all you know, more recent or all old or anything like that. And my first one is not even going to be a good guy. Ooh. It's Darth Vader. Yes. Is that, yeah. is that on your list, Jim? No, he's not on my list. Vader's there. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that um, you know, I mean, we all know Darth Vader in Star Wars. We've just discussed a Star Wars film without mentioning Darth Vader. But he's such an iconic character. And, you, you know, I know you guys don't like the prequels and you know that I do. And I think that knowing the story of Darth Vader and Anakin Skywalker adds an extra element to his character from the original trilogy, which I think adds a, a tragedy to it, uh, which makes the ending in uh, Return of the Jedi all that great, you know, better. And if you if you doubt how much you you like that character, just think of Rogue One yeah. when he appears and he's in that corridor and he slaughters everybody. Even though he's a bad guy killing mm. people, you were thinking, yes! This is what we wanted to see. Right. There are probably reasons why I've left him out of my top three. If we did top three movie villains, I'd probably be hard-pressed not to include him because he is just completely iconic. And he would have made my top three if it wasn't for the fact that... I've had a discussion with um, with one of our followers recently about why... I haven't included him and I mentioned the prequels and that person said well, but that was a different character that was him before he became Darth Vader Anakin and Darth Vader are different people you know they, they they're even not. they're not you, you have to trace it back to the character's origins and unfortunately young Jake Lloyd love him or hate him 
I, I am no problem he, with him. He is. Know. Darth Vader is a, is a young lad. And then you see Whingy Hayden Christensen. Yeah, that's That's Darth Vader as a teenager. And I, I can't ignore that. So he's, he's not on my... He's not one of my picks, but he would have been. Yeah, I mean, yeah I'm not going to argue with Darth Vader. He's um, from the opening where he absolutely nails it, chokes a guy out and start, starts being the baddest man in the universe. He's got to be in there, isn't he? Yeah. Well, good start, Steve. I'm sure loads of our listeners are going to pick him as well. Jim, you're number three. I've gone. I've gone the other way. I've gone with Jabba. Jabba the Jabba Hutt. The Hutt. <laughs> Jabba the Hutt. When you see him return of the Jedi, he's, you you hear about him prior to that, and you can't you can't begin to think that he's going to be a giant slug. And there he is. Brilliant bit of puppeteering from the people in Return of the Jedi. They absolutely nail the character, even though it took about three guys, I think, to work him. Yeah. And obviously animatronic faces. Uh, he's brilliant. I love him, and I'm looking forward to seeing him again. We may well see him again, and let's hope they get it right this time. Instead of doing CG, let's hope they go yeah, practical. Pop it, pop it in yeah. right up. My number three is a character from one of my favourite films, and if we were going to do top three coolest characters, I can't see how this wouldn't be number one. The actor who plays him is one of the coolest actors, most iconic of all time. It's from The Great Escape, Steve McQueen playing Virgil Hilt, the Cooler King. <laughs> I think oh, I must have been about maybe eight or nine when I first saw The Great Escape. I completely fell in love with the film from the start. And it's just every time his character's on screen, he's just stealing the show. He's just the epitome of cool. The whole chase scene where he's riding over the hills trying to jump the barbed wire fence. I always think every time I watch that, he's going to make it this time. He's going to make it. Even though he's he's the one that sort of sacrifices himself in a way that he takes risks knowing he's going to end up back in that cooler in solitary confinement with nothing but his glove and his baseball. And then the way the film ends, in a sort of downbeat way, but at the same time still uplifting, he's got caught. He got caught in the barbed wire. They take him back to the prison camp. He's back in, throwing the ball at the ball and he's just Steve McQueen is, I don't think he's ever been better can I um, confess something I have never seen The Great Escape <gasps> wow know. oh my word oh my god I know so I've spoiled a few I've, you're going to be watching well, that no film no I, I know I know exactly what happens I've seen wow. clips now and again I know exactly you know it's one of these films which Steve, I feel like I've seen because I've seen so much of it. Promise I've me, never sat down and watched promise you'll resolve that as soon as possible. Oh yes, yes, yes. One of the all time greats, Jim. Yeah, no, I'd have to agree. You got it. Yeah, I'm amazed you missed it. I'm wow, amazed you missed yes. it. So after that bombshell, Steve, what's your number two? Well, my number two is a character that is on um, screen very little time, Ooh. but he is such an iconic character that the whole film surrounds him and the whole film is about him and by the time he appears we knew so much about him already Sky is looking at me as if to, he thinks he knows who it is no no I'm intrigued I'm... Ah, it's uh, Harry Lyme oh, from Harry the third man Lime. he literally oh, wow. you don't see him at all no, the no, 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 no. wow yeah, yes. I, I always remember a story yes. that Peter Bogdanovich used to say uh, uh, that he'd been told by uh, Orson Welles he said there's a story of Mr. Wu I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember the, the story no he said you have a um, you know a stage play, and for the first hour, everybody's talking about Mr. Wu. Something happens. Just wait until Mr. Wu hears. Just wait what Mr. Wu is going to do. Mr. Wu's not going to be happy. And then right at the end, from the back of the stage, slowly walking onto the screen, you see some you know, onto the stage, you see somebody, and then the curtain comes down, and everybody says, "Wow, Mr. Wu was great, wasn't he?" Right. You know. Yeah. But up to, up to a point, you think you know when the, when you first see Harry Lyme in the um, shadows with a cat at his feet. 
you think at the moment, okay, Mr. Wu, you could use that, that story to, to sum him up. But then, of course, you've got the scene later on the big... Um, the Ferris, um, Ferris wheel. wheel, yeah. You've got the... Um, the cuckoo clock speech. Yeah, you've got you know the speech about you know if one of those dots would stop moving and you you'd be given a thousand dollars. It's an amazing, amazing uh, character, and it, the character is so big it doesn't even he doesn't even need a movie. He just needs ten minutes. It's it's the reveal, isn't it? You, yeah. Holly Martin's thinks that Harry Lyme is dead, and then there's that big reveal of Orson Welles stepping out from the darkness masterful what an amazing film as soon as you mentioned that the first thing that came into my head was Anton Karras's Zither score yes yeah <laughs> it, it's, it's one of the all time greats and yeah Harry and all Lyme. he does is smile yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. I've arrived yeah, yeah the way he says cuckoo clock yeah oh, fantastic <laughs> great choice James what's your number two number two I've gone for a character that's not massively in the film it's uh, Robert Duvall playing Lieutenant Colonel Bill Kilgore in Apocalypse Now. I saw this, but I was massively, massively into surfing in my 20s. This is a guy who launches a helicopter attack so he can go surfing. In a, in a film which is full of fantastic characters, he's a standout. Duval plays him brilliantly. He's got all the best lines of the film pretty well, you much. Got, come on, you've got to say the line. Well, he loves the smell of napalm in the morning. That's but, that um, smell, that yeah. gasoline smell. Exactly. Reminds the whole us, hill. Yeah. Yeah. Victory. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, tastes, it reminds me of victory yeah. someday this war is going to end yeah. oh my and the word intro, the intro into him from um, from Martin Sheen's character he's, he's like you see like guys like him he ain't ever going to get hurt and he's just standing in the middle of the battlefield yeah. with bombs and bullets going all around him get up son and <laughs> oh. yeah he's, he's fantastic fantastic character leads the leads the helicopter charge yeah like just so he can go for a surf and if you think yeah. about it really he's, he's <laughs> everything behind him and about him it's just ridiculous yeah, yeah, he's putting he's putting men's lives at risk yeah. to get a perfect spot for surfing yeah, beach but break. yeah Duval pulls it off and the fact that when he stood there talking and yeah. all these bombs are going off everyone else is crouched down he's just stood there and I think the most he does is hold his hat on with his yeah, hand yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. amazing character and you know like your choice there Steve with Harry Lyme in the film for a matter of minutes yeah, yeah. but steals the show yeah. my number two we've seen quite a bit of him and in fact we've seen quite a bit of him quite recently and I did swap my number two choice out. It was going to be Indiana Jones. My number two choice is Han Solo. Ooh. Which version? It's it's Han Solo overall, primarily Harrison Ford, but not done any damage by the film we've just talked about. My number two choice, before I swap him from Indy, I see Indiana Jones and Han Solo as, as interchangeable. I love the one as much as the other. As much as the Indiana Jones films were done a bit of damage with the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I don't think the Indiana Jones character was because I think the way Harrison Ford played Indy in that film was still faithful to the character. And even in The Force Awakens, I feel the same way about Han Solo. As much as I didn't like what they did with him as far as a character goes, he was still, to a degree, Han Solo. But either way, I go back to that original trilogy and especially The Empire Strikes Back where he is just incredible. I love you, I know. I mean, we didn't, mention that. we didn't even mention that in uh, Solo. Yeah, I, I hate you. I know that yeah. little callback. Yeah, yeah. he was as a child my favorite character. My favorite Star Wars character then, as I was growing up and became you know a bit older, was Luke Skywalker. The reason I didn't pick Luke is because as much as I love Mark Hamill and think he's fantastic and he just is Luke Skywalker, I've got massive reservations about what they did with his character in the Last Jedi. I'm not going to go into detail about that. And he would have been in my top three, but he's not. I'm going for Han Solo. He is just uber cool. As a kid, you were playing Star Wars, you were either Luke or Han. Yeah. I, I didn't mind who I was, but nine times out of ten, I would probably want to be Han Solo. 
he's, he's, he's like a gunslinger type. He's cool. He's suave. He's sophisticated. But at the same time, he's also down and dirty. And until they stopped him shooting first, uh, he was the ultimate badass. He would cheat. And yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. He was a lovable rogue, wasn't he? Yeah. Scoundrel. A scoundrel. So, Steve, you're number one. My number one. We're going back to the um, to the start of the days of cinema. A character who was in many, many oh. films, completely opposite to Harry Lyme, who was only ten minutes. It's the Tramp, the little Tramp, oh, Charlie oh, Chaplin. Wow. Yeah, his uh, first film was well, his first appearance was in Mabel's Strange Predicament, I think, which is not a great um, film because he it was um, directed by um, Mabel Norman, who was the big star at the time, mm-hmm. and he, he all he did was play a you know a, a drunk who was getting in everybody's way, and you know not a great character. But as soon as he started developing himself, films like The Kid. Anybody yeah. who can't watch the you know who watches the kid but doesn't cry, in the, in the, <laughs> I don't care who you are, you know yeah. you haven't got a heart. You know the ending of um, City Lights, when um, you know the the, the once girl who was blind now you know realizes she's got a sight back and she realizes who the tramp was. Mm-hmm. He was the man who was helping her all the way through, and now he's destitute. You know, and then my favorite um, one of my favorite comedies of all time, Modern Times. Yeah, it's it's such an iconic character, and it's somebody you don't even have to watch any Charlie Chaplin films. You mentioned Charlie Chaplin, and everybody will, you know, yeah. doff the hat with a cane and walk funny, you know. And that final moment in uh, modern times when he walks off into the sunset—that was yeah. one of our. Wasn't that one of our shots of the day? And it pretty much it? one of the earliest ones. I, I was thinking, right, I need, I need a Charlie Chaplin shot, and yeah, beautiful shot. Uh, if you go back through the archive, just type in hashtag film eight nine shot of the day. That was one of them. It's just beautiful. For how long ago? How old are we talking? The thirties. It was in nineteen thirty-six. Six was um, modern times, and nineteen uh, and uh, nineteen fourteen yeah. was his uh, the first. Modern time times was nineteen thirty-six. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, he was around about twenty-two years. He was. And this, the character started a hundred and four years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. And yeah. yet he's still here with us every you know today. There's even a cartoon. What, uh, what is your favorite Chaplin film then? Uh, modern times. Yeah, I'd have to go with modern times. Yeah. The Gold Rush. I, li- I like the Gold Rush. I City think. Lights, the, the Great Dictator. Uh, oh, there's yeah. a to- there's a toss up. Is that I don't know. I'll, I'll go with. I think this uh, City Lights has got the greatest ending of all time. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's yeah. really romantic, lovely. It ending. is. And the circus. I love the circus. I'm not yeah. seen. I I can't recall whether or not I've seen the circus. I, 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 yeah, not sure yeah, if I've seen that it's one. It's about, a, I know, about 45 minutes long. Yeah. But it's it's a laugh feast. Your number one, Jim? I've gone for, uh, probably no surprise to anyone, Roy Batty. Yeah. Great arc, fantastic tale, and Rutger Howard absolutely nails it down. Uh, you know, these sort of ad-libbed lines, the bit at the end, um, tears in the rain. And for the first time, you know, he's a big bad, he's almost a Terminator-type bad guy. He will not mm-hmm. stop. And then all of a sudden, he switched around. Is he the bad guy? Well, yeah, is he the bad guy? Is because, bad guy? yeah, we've discussed yeah. this. Um, I discussed this on the, the Wrong Wheel episode with James Hancock. The fact that he's, in a way, the protagonist and... He's out done by. Yeah, and, and yeah. Harrison Ford, yeah. a, a Deckard, is the antagonist. He's yeah. the one that's hunting down these beings that just want... They want to live. Yeah, yeah they're like children. They, you know, they're, they're four years old. Or thereabouts, yeah. they're just basically clamouring onto our little life they've been given, and yeah, he's fantastic. The tears in the rain speech is possibly my favourite scene in any film. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's incredible, and yeah, Rutger Hauer. I don't think he's ever been better. Although I do Ooh. love him in the Hitcher. Yeah, Hitcher's the Hitcher's, the Hitcher's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. He is great in that, 
But yeah, if I was going to say what his best role is, it's got to be Roy Batty. He, he deserves a bit of a renaissance, actually, doesn't he? He, he, he does, does, he does. does. Flash and Blood, the Paul Verhoeven film, yeah, yeah, another yeah, great it's one. It's a release soon, isn't it? On, it's, um, yeah, Eureka yeah, Video, we're releasing it soon. Yeah, oh, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. for the first time in the UK, uncut. uncut. Yeah. Can't, cannot wait. It's on my Amazon wish list. I'm going to be all over that. And, uh, he, um, and oh, It's not a guilty pleasure. I don't, I don't like to use that phrase. Blind Vengeance. Blind, oh, Blind, Blind Fury. Fury. Blind Fury. Blind Fury. Blind Fury. Blind Fury. Yes, Blind yes, yes. What's the one with Michelle Pfeiffer? Oh, Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk. Oh, well, yeah. I, I do have this thing for Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, well, Who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> My number one. I, you know, I may get some. I don't make some flack for this. I'm not. I've gone for a non-human character. Oh, okay. Of, of a sort. And there's an argument as to whether or not it's two characters. I've gone for the Lord of the Rings. Gollum. Oh, Gollum. Ah, Spiegel. Okay. Yeah. No. No. It's, you're right. There, there's no way that everything being fair and equal, anyone that's watched the behind the the scenes stuff on the Lord of the Rings trilogy and also on the the, the first Hobbit film, uh, an unexpected journey. There's no way that in the 2003 Academy Awards, where the, the Two Towers was up for a few nominations, Andy Serkis should have had a nomination for Best Supporting oh, Actor. Definitely. Anyone that sees that performance and everything that he put into it. Even though his face was covered over by a layer of CGI, every one of Gollum's expressions, mannerisms, everything, the voice, all of it, it's Andy Serkis. He's since proven himself again in numerous films where motion capture, um, you know, he's been a pioneer of motion capture, but it all started with The Lord of the Rings. There's no way that they could have put this character on screen as well as they did without the technology. It was all, it all came together perfectly at the right time. But aside from that, he is also incredibly well written. You've got that scene in the two towers where you've got Gollum and Smeagol fighting for control and Smeagol knows now the fact that he doesn't need Gollum. Gollum's always been there as this sort of schizophrenic thing. The way um, that uh, you know Tyler Durden manifests himself in Edward Norton's character because he's 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 losing his mind. Yeah. He can't sleep. He's, he's got insomnia. So Tyler Durden manifests himself as a way of, as, as a support mechanism in a twisted way and that's what Gollum comes from here. He, he's a sort of offshoot of the ring poisoning Smeagol. Mm. But the ultimate twist at the end then is that as evil and, and conniving as Gollum is, when it comes down to it, the more dominant character is Smeagol. Because at the end, when Frodo says, no, you you you, you promised Smeagol, you promised, and he says, Smeagol lied. And at that point, Smeagol has become the more dominant one and is the one that will do anything he can to get what he wants, to get that ring. It's a commentary on addiction because Tolkien, after World War One, he saw young men fall into opium addiction. He saw terrible things that it did to them. They were broken having seen the, the horrific horrors of war, the ones that did come back. They came back incomplete. Some of them came back with these addictions and fractured minds, all sorts of mental health problems. You can look at it from that point of view. You can also look at it as one of the most incredibly conceived, most well-rounded characters ever. And I just love him. There's a load of characters from those films that I love, but he is my favorite. Yeah, no fact, no oh, fact given there, so yeah. spot on. Can we do our honorable mentions first? I've oh. given I've given you four warning. Have you got any, Jim? Yeah. Oh, there's millions. There's millions. Sure. Right, Steve. There you go first. Have you got any honourable mentions? No, no, no. You go. We, I think you're going to cover everybody. Uh, I, I'm really sorry, guys and girls. I my list is just. It, I, I couldn't. I couldn't censor myself. We'll start off. James Bond. No I've gone for Connery, Moore, Lazenby, and Craig. I've admitted. I, I, I've admitted Pierce Brosnan. I don't like him as James Bond. Heath Ledger is the Joker. He nearly made my list. Yeah, every moment he's on screen he steals the scene he's uh, just he's incredible I've gone for Christopher Reeve's iteration of Superman yeah definitive one that nearly made my list everyone uh, knows from our three favourite actors I picked Roy Scheider 
Chief Martin Brody. Ah, yes, of course. Tyler Durden. <laughs> then I've gone from the trio of Kurt Russell characters of R.J. McCready <laughs> from the, from the yeah. Thing, Snake Plissken, and Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, yeah. I mentioned uh, the Cooler King from The Great Escape. You couldn't have him without James Garner's character of Henley the Scrounger. And then I've also gone for Alan Ripley from Alien oh, and yes, Aliens. Yes, yeah. I went for, bearing in mind that Steve and I talked at length about Casablanca a few weeks ago, Louis Renault. Yes, he was he one nearly, that almost made my list. Claude Rains' character of Louis nearly made my top three. Yeah. And I'm probably going to regret keeping him off. And then who can mention him without having Rick Blaine, Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. I then had to go for Martin McFly and Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Roy Batty and Rick Deckard. Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, yeah. Tommy DeVito from Goodfellas. <laughs> Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. Travis Bickle. Verbal Kint from The Usual Suspects. Suspect. Oh, yeah. And then when I, when I was thinking of twisted, messed up characters, Lou Bloom from Nightcrawler. Jake Gyllenhaal's yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. They're amazing performance. Rocky Balboa. Apollo Creed. Doc Holliday from Tombstone, Val Kilmer's character. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Harry Callahan. Clarence Bodiger from Robocop. T1000. Frank, Frank Henry Fonda's character oh, Wise, from Once oh, Upon a Time in the West HAL 9000 just thinking of yeah. characters we don't see we just hear voices yeah. and then thinking of that one I went for Scarlett Johansson as Samantha from her amazing uh, amazing film amazing vocal performance and then I was thinking what other actors do I love Gene Hackman Royal Tenenbaum and Popeye Doyle yeah you've got to have Popeye Doyle so Hayden Spirell, he's given us a much shorter list. He'd be glad to go. <laughs> he went for David Mills from Seven, Brad Pitt's character, Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver, and Ellen Ripley from Aliens. Richie Roberts picked Rocky Balboa, Marty McFly, and Clark Kent Superman from the Christopher Reeve films. His honourable mentions were Indiana Jones, Robin Hood, Han Solo, Ellen Ripley, Michael Corleone, Doc Brown, Tony Stark, and William Wallace. William Wallace from Brave mm. Heart. Neil Gaskin picked Rocky Han Solo. Oh. was number one simply yeah. put the, the coolest scoundrel ever to live in a galaxy far far away let's get one thing straight and definitely shot first <laughs> <laughs> Rocky Balboa that no surprise there it, that was inevitable <laughs> and ooh this one was a bit of a surprise but I like where he's coming from Sean from Sean of the Dead <laughs> in a world full of this is he's near, backed it up he's backed up in a world full of icons Sean may be the most relatable well to me anyway character in film history at the time of the zombie apocalypse striking he is a character that's a complete waste of a man devoid of ambition and a disappointment to both his family and now his ex-girlfriend happy to get drunk in the same pub every night paid for by his dead end job accompanied by his man child friend that'd probably be huge no, wouldn't it, it if is, uh, yeah, Neil's yeah, talking about yeah. himself and yet, when greatness comes calling, he rises to the challenge magnificently while still managing to effectively luck his way through it. Brilliant. I love it. He's backed it up. Yeah. His honorary mentions were John McClane, The Joker, Jack Burton, Tony Stark, Tyler Durden, Steve Rogers, Captain America, Alan Ripley, Peter Venkman, Navin R. Johnson, Steve Martin's character from The Jerk, John Matrix. <laughs> Yay, <laughs> oh, bit yes. of John Matrix, bit of commando love. Yeah. Indiana Jones and finishes it off. Yes, Police Chief Martin Brody. Big friend of the podcast, Jacob Rivera at JRATM23 has picked Jules Winfield, Amelie Poulain from no, Amelie, and the T1000. Load of honourable mentions. Alex from A Clockwork Orange, Bruce Wayne Batman, John McClane, Blade, The Dude from Big Lebowski, Rocky Balboa, Douglas Quaid from Total Recall, Mitch Leary, John Markovich's character from In the Line of Fire. That's a bit of a left field oh, choice. Hello. Darth Vader, Tyler Durden, Lola from Run Lola Run, 
Oh, Alabama Whirly from True Romance. True Romance. Michael Corleone, Randall P. McMurphy, one flew over oh, the cuckoo's nest. Man. Why did I not put that on my list? Yeah. John Rambo, Scott Pilgrim. Oh, I love Scott Pilgrim. Dirk Diggler and Bill the Butcher Cutting. Oh, yes. <laughs> Adam Rakoff, at Adam Rakoff, has picked Quint from Jaws, John McClane from Die Hard, and Sarah Connor from the first two Terminator films. Have you noticed there's been a few for Brody, but I think that's the first one. Yeah, it's first, first for Quint. Yeah. Initially, Adam picked Brody, Quint, and Hooper. But oh, when okay. I said to him, I said, Adam, they can be from different films. He said, okay then. He picked Quint and dropped the other two. Oh. Becky Deanna at H. Wood Minotaur on Twitter. John Connor from T2. Well, mm-hmm. she's a huge T2 fan. She's a huge fan. T2 fan. Yeah, she is. is. She cries at the end. She, of she's, yeah, I'm not going to challenge Becky on anything to do with T2. She's an no, absolute no. font of knowledge of all things related to the Terminator. Jane Craig from Broadcast News, which I know is oh, one yes, of Becky's yeah. favourite films. And Daniel Miller from Defending Your Life, which is another one of her favourites. On to our followers. Chris Bynan on Facebook. Ellen Ripley, Darth Vader and Star-Lord. Oh, that's all right. Never, never Matt Lawrence on Facebook, Indiana Jones, Ellen Ripley, and Tyler Durden, and Lauren Harmon via email, Hannibal Lecter, Loki, and Heath Ledger's Joker. Cool. Cool. I think we've pretty much. Uh, well, there's been a few that comes yeah, up. Lot of, yeah, yeah, lot of, yeah, lot of, lot of recurring ones. Well, uh, Ellen Ripley, as she should. Yeah. Amazing. Tyler Durden as well. I, Tyler Durden. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a great oh, character. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought of him, but it's a great character. So, we've got some listener questions. This one's very topical. Helen Hall via Facebook asks, As you're reviewing Solo, if you had to pick just one to watch over the other for the rest of your life, would you choose Star Trek or Star Wars? Steve, I'll start with you and I know the oh, answer. Oh, yes, an easy answer. I mean, I, I do like Star Trek, um, you know, to various degrees, but um, there's got to be Star Wars. Yeah, I, I'm probably one of the... I think there's me, um, there's um, Kevin Smith, and Roger Ebert, who doesn't think that there's a bad Star Wars film yet. Obviously, <laughs> Roger Ebert hasn't seen the last couple. But I think I, I'm not going to try and speak on behalf of one of the most uh, respected Roger film Ebert critics. Loved The Phantom Menace and he loved Revenge uh, of the Sith. Someone's got to, Steve. Someone's got to. Yeah, so it's three of us. So there's never been a bad Star Wars film. In your opinion? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Log- logically, <laughs> logically, I'd have to say. Guys, there is a group forming outside uh, Film 89 Towers with burning torches <laughs> and uh, Bring about. banners with the word Steve written on. I don't know if I can read the rest of it. Logically, I've always, I'd have always said Star Wars, right? Yeah. But logically now. Yes. Because so many of the films that have come out have been complete pony. I should say Star Trek. But I'm still going to say Star Wars. <laughs> right, so you've got the rest of your life now to watch films which are already ingrained in your psyche. Can't not watch it. Can't not watch them again. Can't not watch the big three again. See now, I, 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 I need to watch Solo again and Rogue One. I, I could because we've got X amount of Star Wars series. I don't think I've seen all of sorry Star Trek series as much as I've seen all of the original series and all of uh, the Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Uh, you know, there's still if I was stuck on a desert island with something to watch, I'm not going to pick ten Star Wars films over thousands of hours of Star Trek when amongst them you've got you've, you've oh, got you're some, being too logical now. you've yeah. got you've got some absolute <laughs> clunkers but that's that's my way of thinking about it there's and the way I see it now Star Wars we've just had another film which has addressed the balance brought balance to the force for me out of the ten films I don't I'm not really keen on five of them a few of them I outright detest so I'm thinking of it logically I'm going to go with Star yeah, Trek yeah, you're in a Vulcan who's come out 
My inner Vulcan. Yeah, that's right. So there you go. Well, yeah. I've never seen um, Deep Space Nine. Oh, Steve. So I would say, if I was stuck on a desert island, I would like to be able to see that scene. Uh, Deep Space Nine, I'm not sure how it's aged, but I'd love to see it remastered and get the treatment that... Give it the treatment. Give it the treatment that Star Trek, the original series, and the next generation had. Uh, uh, just go back and touch up the special effects because they're not great. They, you know, It was TV special effects from the mid-90s. But my God, what an incredible story arc from season three onwards with the Dominion War. It was yeah, just yeah. amazing. And he went from being a Star Trek show that no one cared about to, you know, I think if you ask a majority of Star Trek fans now, they, a lot of them will hold a torch for Deep Space Nine. And I've got to be honest with you, the Star Trek films overall in quality... Too much time travel. Too much time travel. You don't like, yeah, you don't like, like time like, travel, like Jim, do you? No, anyway, that was a great question, Helen. And uh, quite topical given the fact that we're talking about Star Wars this episode. Peter Clark via Facebook asks, what film or TV show from your childhood that you once loved do you now think has aged badly and doesn't hold up? Steve. Uh, well, from a TV show, um, recently I sat down and watched Knight Rider again. Oh. Uh, now, yeah. I love Knight Rider. Well, nice, nice, but nice. I, you know, I just want to take the crackers out because there was so much cheese on that screen. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I would love to see them do it if, they, if anybody said let's make a Knight Rider film hmm. I, I would be up for it Yeah. however it just doesn't hold up I know what you mean and I think it's the same with a lot of shows you know from, from the 80s when we were growing up the one I revisited back uh, maybe about 15 years ago uh, I came across completely by accident was Mask the kids cartoon oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I remember loving Mask when yeah. I was a kid and it was god awful absolutely dreadful now a few other shows I've watched like um, I, I I watched a few episodes of Transformers back when he had a bit of a renaissance back around about 2000 and you're still in a way it does kind of hold up but then you've got other shows that just you think as a kid you think oh really Thundercats is still great yeah Visionaries for anyone who remembers that is fantastic and I urge anyone to seek that out it was quite a short lived show but that literally put Transformers Thundercats and everything else to shame it was fantastic there's quite a few shows though I'm afraid to go back to. Yeah, I'm going to really lob in yeah. go on. that I used to love as a kid and I, I watched the thing on it fairly recently and it's Pony is Robin of Sherwood oh with Michael <laughs> Craig oh no it's, it's bad hair. It's, it's, with it's, yeah. hair Richie it's, Roberts is going to hate yeah. us but yeah it hasn't aged well no. yeah it's not aged well it's like as if they've smeared Vaseline all over the camera it then. is bless it them is, they may yeah. have they may have still but, a great soundtrack though great soundtrack yes um, Ray Damn Winston's it. in there Kim Davis on Twitter, at Kim Davis with two eyes. If you could interview anyone connected to a film, be it an actor, actress, or anyone involved in the filmmaking process, who would it be and why? Jim, I'll start with you. I'd have to be a golden ager, I think. Someone like probably David Niven. Someone like that, sit down with him. You know you're going to get hammered while you interview him. And the life experience they've had, Second World War, yeah. First World War, I think, possibly with Niven as well. Yeah. And then living life to the max out in Hollywood because they've been through all that and why not someone like that golden age is David Evan see I that's a good idea for some reason I, I just thought of people who were still alive so I omitted people like Christopher Reeve Awesome oh, Wells yeah. oh Christopher Reeve sorry Christopher Lee yeah Awesome Wells people who I would love to just sit down and chat with and yeah I pick people who are alive but oh, yeah, yeah that's a cracking answer Steve yeah um, yeah my choice is uh, deceased as well oh. <laughs> and I don't actually speak his language so um, I'm going to have to learn French first but it's François Truffaut oh yeah maybe you know if there's one person who knows so much about yeah. movies about film history and also that but you mentioned David Niven's uh. life you know, he had such a hard life growing up yeah what he what came out of it was just mm. you know magnificent it was beautiful yeah. 
So yes, I, I would happily sit down for hours with uh, them. Who have you gone for? I'd love to change mine now and consider people who are deceased, but I thought... They're alive, so you may get to interview them if you're listening. Martin Scorsese. I'd love to just sit down and chat film with him. Peter Bogdanovich, another filmmaker who just knows so much about film. Aside from filmmakers, before, God forbid, he shifts his mortal coil, the one person I've never met who I'd love to meet and I can just listen to talk about, he could read the film book, James Earl Jones. He's led a fascinating life. When he was a stage actor, um, having to deal with all the prejudices he did back in the you know the fifties and sixties, and there's just something endlessly fascinating about him. I've I've every little bit of um, interview footage I can find on YouTube I've listened to. I, I just find the guy endlessly fascinating, and he's he's probably top of my wish list of people to to meet before God forbid they leave this world. So he's not listening then on I will say that yesterday, one of my other heroes growing up, who actually liked something that I tweeted on Twitter, ah. Chuck Yeager. Chuck, Chuck oh, Godford. God bless. The, one of the bravest men ever to live. One of you know, one of my childhood icons, whose character features in the film The Right Stuff, which is my one of my all-time favorite films. He's still alive. Age, you know, ninety-five he, years he's old. Still flying, I think. He's still active on social media, and you know, my words. My own grandparents wouldn't even know what you know social media was if they were still alive. He's still on there. I was following the discussion he was having um, oh, maybe a few months back now about the whole space program, and he was putting his views forth there. And I actually, um, myself and Gidget Von Leroux, tagged him into a conversation we were having yesterday, and he liked it. I was like, <laughs> wow, Chuck Yeager, amazing. Excellent. So yeah, yeah, I, I could talk all day to someone like that about all their experiences yeah. and the fact that they've just lived so close to the edge and just dodged death. Yeah. I wonder what he feels about um, you know the uh, his uh, on-screen uh, With avatar. Spam and can he wasn't happy about was he? Spam and can yeah. The, he, he said no, they weren't. So no. uh, that, they, that got attributed to him. I think he wasn't very happy about it. And Sam Shepard, yes, uh, who passed away Just quite recently. Year. Yeah, very sad, but yeah, Chuck Yeager still going strong at ninety-five, and, and may he may he go well past a hundred. So there you go. That's uh, another episode wrapped up. Please. If you're anything like us, you're a fan of the Star Wars saga. Go um, see. Go, go, and, see go and see Solo. It isn't doing particularly well in comparison to other films uh, that are around at the moment. Films which are already showing. Go and see Solo. It completely surprised us. Mm. It counts amongst. I know, Steve. Obviously, you don't think there's such thing as a bad Star Wars film. But you know, for the likes of Jim and I, and I, I'm speaking on behalf of uh, Neil as well, who's also seen it and really liked it. It's amongst the good Star Wars films, far better than he had any right to be, given his troubled production. So yeah, I won't need those Jiffy bags. That's a reference, Jim. That thank God no one's going to get. But yeah, Jim was almost going to do a little dirty protest <laughs> if the film had been bad. I'll leave that to your imagination. It involved Jiffy bags and something his body produces. <laughs> He's a disgusting individual, but. Uh, for some reason, you guys listening to the podcast love him and want him back on every week. So, uh, Steve, where can our listeners find you if they want to contact you and talk about film? Uh, on Twitter, uh, Welsh Bluesman, at Welsh Bluesman, and of course, film89.co.uk. Jim, where can they find you? I'll be uh, on a bench outside your multiplex uh, drinking heavily. And if they want to contact you on Twitter, where can they also find you? Well, if you contact Film89, I'm usually lurking there Possib- online. Possibly they could contact you with your Twitter handle, at Jim Cottle. Yeah, Jim Laden, Jim Cottle, no, the, the, no the, Jim, Jim Laden is your, that's your Instagram profile. Okay. I love it, the fact that I've got to tell people where to find you. <laughs> yeah, Do you know. even know what where you it? are half no, the time, Jim? No, I don't. Do you know where you're going to be in a couple of hours after no, we record this? No. Life's one big what a, what a wild adventure of a life you lead. <laughs> crazy, crazy. 
Okay, you'll find me on Twitter at Sky Movies. I'm also on Facebook, and you can find us all at Film89UK, both on Twitter and Facebook. And please check out the site, film89.co.uk. More great articles we've had recently. It was the it was the birthday of John Wayne. John Wayne. So Steve uh, posted a fantastic article about one of my favourite films and one of his, John Ford's The Searchers. The Searchers yes, Incredible. Great article. Please give it a, a read, guys. Please like, retweet our stuff. Please give us a give us a, a good review on iTunes if you could. And don't forget, our contest is still running. Please recommend us to a friend if they like the podcast. Get them to put a review on iTunes saying that who recommended them the person with the most recommendations after a few months will be given a guest spot on this podcast this is going to happen and anyone that's uh, in second and third place can also nominate a film or tv show that we will do an entire retrospective episode on but the star prize is going to be that guest appearance so get recommending us liking us give us a good itunes review tag the, the person that recommended you and hopefully soon one day you'll be talking with us either here in person if you can make it here or via Skype we'll get recording and you can be in your own episode of this podcast so that uh, draws this episode to a close and uh, well what, what what are we doing next time have we got um, anything what's in the who, pipeline what's coming out next what's coming out next Ooh, um, um, you said one uh, Incredibles was that, is that Incredible? Uh, I don't know are we going to do that uh, no the, the I'm not Jurassic sure World. Jurassic World Jurassic World that, maybe, yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah. but we'll certainly have some retrospective stuff lined up I know uh, Neil and uh, Hayden Spirell and I are going to be doing one very soon I'm sure uh, DC fans out there are going to love so stay tuned, stay safe everyone, and more importantly, stay classy.